Hello and welcome to the Life After Blindness podcast. This week in the news, we'll discuss updates to the Marrakesh VIP Treaty, the effects of a Mediterranean diet on age-related macular degeneration, a blind Paralympian named Daniel Umstead who recently appeared on Dancing with the Stars, and so much more. And then later in the podcast, I'll speak with Stephen Scott about autonomous vehicles. And later in this week's Tim's Tech Tip segment, or T3, I will tell you about my favorite new features that can be found in iOS 12. All of this and more coming up in episode number 30 of the Life After Blindness podcast, where your journey continues right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Life After Blindness. This is the podcast where we are dedicated to the exploration of an enabled life with blindness. I'm your host, Tim Schwartz, and I want to thank you, as always, for joining me here once again on the Life After Blindness podcast. If you ever have any questions for me, you can send your questions or comments to Tim at lifeafterblindness.com. That's Tim at lifeafterblindness.com. And as always, if you have any questions about anything that you've heard in today's episode or need to find links or additional information about me or the website or the podcast, you can visit the show notes for this podcast by going to lifeafterblindness.com slash 30. That's lifeafterblindness.com slash three zero for this week's show notes. Let's go ahead and kick things off this week with the news. The top news this week relates to the Marrakesh VIP Treaty. Now, this is the treaty that makes it easier for the creation and transfer across national boundaries of texts that are specially created for those with print disabilities. In recent weeks, the United States, as well as the European Union, have joined the Marrakesh VIP Treaty, enabling it to cover 70 countries worldwide. A new study out of the European Union was recently published in the Journal of the American Academy of Ophthalmology, and it states that a Mediterranean diet isn't just good for everyone's overall health, but it's especially good for those who either want to prevent or fight age-related macular degeneration. A Mediterranean diet emphasizes eating less meat and more fish, fruits, vegetables, legumes, unrefined grains, and olive oil. Last week brought with it the season premiere of Dancing with the Stars, and this season, one of the contestants is a lady named Danielle Umstead, who is a Paralympic bronze medalist in downhill skiing, who seemed to do fairly well in her first efforts as a dancer. Danielle Umstead has retinitis pigmentosa as well as multiple sclerosis. Unfortunately, this week, she was voted off of Dancing with the Stars. In technology news, Facebook has stated that they are working on a meme detection algorithm that will enable them to recognize text within an image that's been posted on a Facebook feed and then provide that text through accessible means to someone who is blind or visually impaired who uses a screen reader like JAWS, NVDA, or VoiceOver. And finally, some personal news that I want to mention to you this week. As most of you know, I'm also the co-host on a blindness technology show on AMI-audio in Canada called Double Tap Canada. I co-host there with Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. We are just about to enter our second year with AMI and Double Tap Canada. And with that, we are launching a blog to go along with the podcast and radio show. So you can visit ami.ca for blog posts 
podcasts. Or if you'd rather, you can go to doubletap.online. That's doubletap.online to view all the recent blog posts that Stephen, Sean, and myself have written. That's all for the news this week. Now, do you have any particular news items that you would like me to cover in the future or talk about more in depth or anything that you would like me to review on the podcast? If you do, please send an email to tim at lifeafterblindness.com and I'll be sure to talk about that in an upcoming episode. Now, let's move right along and talk with Stephen Scott about automated vehicles and how they affect the blind and visually impaired. Joining me this week for the interview is a man who probably needs no introduction, but hey, I'll introduce him anyway. Uh, he comes to us from the UK. He is on RNIB Connect Radio, famously known for the RNIB Tech Talk show, as well as a slightly newer show available in Canada on AMI Radio called Double Tap Canada. He is the one and only Stephen Scott. Stephen, welcome back to the show. Hey, Tim. Uh, what, a, what an introduction. I'm honored. Well, you should be. <laughs> no, I'm quite honored to have you back on the show. I really appreciate you coming on because you actually uh, recently or earlier this year had an experience that I am just so, so jealous of. Hopefully someday we'll all get to have the same experience that you had, but you got to go and ride in an autonomous vehicle, not only any autonomous vehicle, but a Tesla three. So tell me, how did, how did this even start? How did, how did you uh, get to be in a position where you could do that? Well, um, I have the fortune, as, as you said, of working for RNIB, which is uh, the UK's biggest sight loss charity. And it has many great partners around the UK, one of them being an organization called Beacon Center for the Blind. Um, they're based in Wolverhampton in England. Um, which isn't far from London, if you are looking on a map. It's not far, uh, very near Birmingham. And it is a, a great uh, organization, does amazing work. And I was very lucky to just by chance be involved in a conversation uh, around the development of driverless car technology, but also driverless cars and how they are built internally, so how they look inside. And the conversation came up because I, I do the tech show with you um, that it was suggested that I might join a conversation around how we can help in some way to make manufacturers understand the needs of visually impaired people. Now, I have to say, when I heard this at first, I was a bit confused because the thing for me has always been that driverless cars, I've always, always thought that driverless cars will come along and we, as, as blind people, will just never get near them. It'll just never happen. Sure. Um, we can travel in them as passengers with other people who are sighted, but never alone, never independently. And the discussion very quickly became, um, well, no, that's not what we're aiming for here. We're actually aiming for visually impaired people to travel alone. The question they were asking me was, how do we make sure that the blind person can travel safely in the car? Um, what are the things that would be needed? And I was, uh, you know, obviously we're talking here about things such as, um, you know, so when you get into the car, what the colour contrasts are for the seat and the floor and perhaps any handles or, or rails that are required. Um, what would the colour schemes for those be for someone who is has got some vision or various types of, of conditions, of course, need different um, requirements and colour contrast, but there generally is a rule around, say, for example, handrails might be yellow, um, the seat colour would be a, a different contrast colour 
to the floor. Um, so, you know, whatever that might be. And as somebody who's got very little useful vision left, <laughs> that doesn't really something, it's not really something I think about very often. But right. I did get into the conversation and I wasn't alone in it. Um, myself and uh, colleagues from RNIB and other organizations such as Guide Dogs in the UK uh, were very much involved in this, something they're very excited to be involved in. So that was how the conversation began. And then as a result of that, at the end of the meeting, uh, I got a chance to meet with a company who are developing pods, as they're called. These are driverless pods that um, that run in Heathrow Airport in London. And these pods, are, they are actually, they're already in action, uh, but they run on rails. And the reason they run on rails is for legal reasons. We still haven't quite ironed out all the, the legislation around these vehicles yet. So for the moment, they run on rails. But next year, they want to trial them running without rails. And for that reason, they were very keen to start involving visually impaired people because there's a suggestion that these would be brilliant vehicles to help visually impaired people travel in airports, um, either with or without assistance. Now... That sounds pretty impressive when you think about it. It definitely you know, the does. Idea I could turn up at the airport and get in a driverless pod and it takes me to the gate and I don't have to worry about where I'm going, you know, what's happening. It's a, it's a, it's a lot better than a wheelchair. That's all I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely gives you more independence. It's something you don't have to necessarily rely on someone else. You have to sit there and wait for the wheelchair. You may have to wait for the next available pod, but uh, you don't have to sit there and wait for hours, as some of us have done, waiting for somebody to come along to help you or get a wheelchair. And and yeah, you just hop in and, and be independent and do it. So without the rails, then uh, I presume that means it, it would be able to go almost anywhere within the airport and get you wherever you need to go. Yeah, and and that's really the aim. I mean, I think what will happen is over the next year, from my understanding, in Heathrow Airport anyway, and it's different around the world, but in Heathrow Airport, the pods will come off the rails, they will be able to be used inside the terminal uh, on a track, in a sense. Uh, The track will not be something which is fixed or it won't be in in rails as it is in its current form, Um, but obviously people who are walking around, fully sighted people who would be walking around the airport would know that uh, you know that track is for these pods, and we're starting to see that in different places. I was at a hospital recently, where um, I have to say I was completely bemused by this. This robot vehicle, a very small, low-level vehicle with two big buckets on top of it, went past me on this rail, uh, not on a rail, sorry, on a track like I'm suggesting, on a sort of just a just a line on the road, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was what this this line was representing. It was representing this track for these robot vehicles. Um, I didn't even think you could do that at this stage, but apparently, because on hospitals it's private ground, they can run these tests. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, it, it's different to public roads, so it, it's already happening. And you know, it was just really interesting to to learn that these pods existed. I, I've been in similar pods. Uh, at uh, Heathrow Airport uh, on trials, uh, but I didn't even know at the time that that they were driverless. I thought they w- there was a driver in them, uh, but there wasn't. Uh, and uh, they've been running now f- successfully now for about a year. Uh, and people, some people don't even know that they're driverless. Um, I mean, there's a great story about uh, a train that, uh, line that was set up in London called the Docklands Light Railway, uh, the DLR as it's locally known, and they. 
run this train, it gets you from the sort of business end of the city of London to the centre of London fairly swiftly. But it's completely driverless. And it was advertised as such, and everyone was very excited about it. The problem was that on the day that it launched, no one wanted to get on the train. <laughs> okay. Because it was driverless. Right. And they thought, well, I'm not doing that. Um, so what they did was they employed someone to sit in the cab of the train. Can't do anything. But he could sit there and he could just pretend he was driving the train because he wasn't able to do anything. He was doing it all himself. Oh, my goodness. And people started using the train as a result of that. And this guy's been paid to literally sit and do nothing uh, for, you know, however long. And I think it might have calmed down a bit now, but uh, in the initial stages, it was ridiculous. Where has that job um, been all my life? I, 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 I need that job. <laughs> I, hire me now. Yeah. <laughs> think of all the Netflix you could get through. Oh, I know, absolutely. <laughs> but it just such a, such a great story. But yeah, this is this is where it's going, and this company have developed these pods, and it's very exciting. But my involvement was to talk about what the vehicles would be, how they would be used, how we would uh, think about them. I mean, even simple things. I was talking about things like um, the doors themselves to the vehicle. How do they open? Because some of these vehicles are quite futuristic and their their doors open upwards. Um, almost like if you were looking at it from the back, it would look like two wings were opening, were sort of being spread. Um, and I said, well, that's all well and good for a sighted person who can see it. Right. But if you're standing in front of it, you get whacked by it. Um, that's not so good. Um, so, you know, they were thinking about how they would design the doors, how they would need to design the interiors, and all of that, and, and that was the beginning of it. So that was the, that was what led me to the, the the conversation with the company, and then they said to me, "Look, we'd love you to come down and try these." Now, Tim, you know me; uh, I'm always up for a free lunch, but with a driverless car involved, I am there absolutely. And it was um, it was a, an evening. I'd gone to this um, this university campus, and it was it was in Birmingham, and I'd gone along to see what these cars were like and I expected to see uh, the pods because I knew the pods would be there and I was excited to see those because those those are probably the first experience we will all have of this kind of technology uh, and again this is technology that isn't built to be used by visually impaired people along with a sighted companion who can hit the stop button if it's all going horribly wrong <laughs> right this is not for that this is these are for anybody these are these are essentially vehicles that will be used internally uh, on perhaps well, in airports, on hospital or university campuses, this is what they're for. They're for just transporting people around in small areas. Uh, the idea long term is that these kind of pods could replace buses. Because there was a conversation we had, and I, you know, I'm kind of drifting away from the, the accessibility side for a second, but I, I just find this interesting. We all know that the concept of a bus, right? So, what, 48, 50-odd seats in it, um, and it takes loads of people around. The problem is, how many of these vehicles drive around without many people in them? True. Uh, if you've got a very busy city, uh, you know, you might find that some of these buses aren't full to capacity and may never be. So, what about taking the concept of bus travel completely out of the equation and thinking of it more as a hybrid of bus slash taxi. So let's imagine that you're going on a night out and there's 16 of you. 
Well, each pod can take four people. So what would happen is four pods would essentially join together in convoy and arrive at your requested place where you are, the origin of your journey, and it would take you to wherever you want to go. And then once you all get out of the pods, they all break apart again and go off in their merry ways and maybe serve two people or four people or join again to become an eight. So the idea of needing a bus disappears. You just need lots and lots of four-seater pods. And there you have it. You can have any combination you require. So the Uber equivalent of a bus. Seems a lot more efficient, yeah. Far more efficient, far more uh, environmentally friendly, um, better for the environment, better for the roads themselves. Uh, Because these vehicles travel in convoy, they tend to travel slower than normal cars. And, of course, they don't have angry people behind them, driving them, wanting (laughs) to get to the next stop as soon as humanly possible. So a lot of the anger and the emotion is taken out of the driving, which makes it much safer. And safety is ultimately where we come to for the reason these things even are going to exist. That is their driving force, pardon the pun. It is all about safety. Um, You know, I I learned an amazing fact on this journey uh, that I've been on with the, the driverless cars story. The equivalent of one fully laden 747 comes down every single day. Imagine that. Imagine one 747 coming down every day filled with passengers. That is how many people are killed on the roads around the world. It's a very startling kind of number. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think that's where a lot of people like ourselves are so fascinated and welcoming of self-driving vehicles or, or, or these type of cars because the roadways are so dangerous and there are so many injuries and deaths related to it. My, my wife and I were talking about this recently, how it is so much safer to fly than it is to be on the roadways. Absolutely. And uh, I, I honestly, nothing against human beings. I love people. They're <laughs> great. But when it comes to driving, I honestly think I'm going to trust this technology over human error. Absolutely. And that's the key. That is the key point of all of this. Uh, you know, it, from from a blind person's perspective, there's a, another interesting angle on safety here, which is when you get into a taxi or a bus or a train or, you know, any vehicle, I guess, um, you're putting your life in their hands. Now, that's not to say that your life... Um, isn't in your hands if you were to get into a car on your own. Of course it is, but it's your responsibility. You know, if you spot something on the road that shouldn't be there or someone walks out or something, you would have the knowledge and the capability to swerve out of the way, avoid it, and hopefully save yourself and whoever or whatever is in front of you. But you don't have that capability if the guy who's driving the taxi happens to be in his 60s and is a bit doddery and isn't quite all there, (laughs) you know, um, but he just does this job because he likes doing it. And I've been in so many taxis where that's been the case. And, you know, I I remember once driving along in a taxi on a motorway, on a highway, and I remember the taxi driver would would turn around and speak to me. Clearly, I learned through the course of this journey that he had hearing problems. So he would turn around to hear me and say, "What what was that you were saying? And as he would turn around, the whole vehicle would lurch whatever direction his head was going. Oh, my gosh. And at one, on one point, I was convinced we were going to be driving right off that motorway. 
and I would die in that vehicle because oh. I just I, and I was hanging on to every handle I could find <laughs> with grim death, thinking I just want to stop this. Um, we don't have any control over that. We never will. So to take all of that away and to put the trust into a vehicle sounds crazy. It sounds crazy today. In 20 years' time, I think people will look back and say, why did you ever think this was crazy? Because the number of road deaths will, will go down. It's not. Look, let's be fair here. People have died as a result of these tests already. People have been killed by these vehicles. Um, let's not forget that. They're not perfect yet. Uh, there's a long way to go. But... The, the amount of hours that these vehicles have done on the road with the amount of vehicles and, and, and the comparison studies that have been done just on the, the numbers of, of hours the vehicles have been on the road versus the equivalent number of car crashes and deaths, I think we're talking two or three versus thousands. Um, that already gives me confidence. I'm not saying that anybody... I don't want anybody to die. I don't want any... Of course, you know, why would I think that? But... It's about reducing the number of deaths. It's about being safe on our roads. It's about a vehicle uh, driving along the road, a driver who perhaps gets blinded by the sun for a second and doesn't see us walk out with our white cane or anyone walk out or a, a woman with a stroller you know, come out onto the road and doesn't see that person. That vehicle, it doesn't matter whether the sun's blinding it in its face because it can see through its sensors. The technology is there to do all that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Anything we can do to reduce accidents, to reduce, reduce deaths and injuries, even if this technology is never, quote, perfect, like you say, it's still better than I think what we have now. Because obviously humans aren't perfect. The way we drive now is not perfect. But if we can make it any amount better uh, with these type of, of self-driving vehicles, well, then I think that that's important. People say, oh, well, but they're ne maybe they'll never be perfect. Maybe there'll be software glitches. Maybe there'll be problems and there'll still be deaths. Very possibly, unfortunately, that could be true. But I still feel that, like you say, in, in years time, maybe you know, sooner, maybe later, but even though it may not ever be a perfect system, it's still going to be better than where we are. And that's where we need to be. We need to get to a better place. You know, no one's saying... You know, I, 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 would, I always find that an amazing argument that people make around driverless cars. Well, they might not be safe. People might die. Well, people are dying already. Exactly. You know, I want less people to die. Um, and, you know, I have a friend who, you know, I won't name, but I have a friend who lost her sister due to a drunk driver. And I saw what that did to her. And I saw that, that the impact that that had on that person. And... You know, it's utterly horrifying. I mean, you know, there needs to be something clearly done about this. And this is this is the answer. Now, it's not, as I say, not perfect yet, but it, it is getting somewhere. And, you know, bringing it to not lighter um, perspectives, but um, from our perspectives, I, I, I think, you know, what this does for us is it changes our world completely. And I'll give you a great example. My wife and I are both visually impaired, so neither of us can drive. And on a Saturday night, I always have a hankering for a McDonald's. Always. <laughs> Just on Saturday night? Just for some reason on a Saturday. You know, you're chilling out, you're going to watch a movie or something, and you're sitting there, and popcorn just isn't quite doing it for you. 
Right. <laughs> and you're like, I want a McDonald's. I want, you know, dirty chicken or whatever, right? <laughs> right. And <laughs> whatever it is, and I think that's that's for me. I c- there's nothing I can do about that right now. I mean, yes, I could get in a taxi and I could pray that the taxi driver won't get a big fuss on about having to go to McDonald's and do the drive through and then take me home because a lot of the drivers don't like having food in their cars. Even if they know the food will not be open, they still don't like the smell of it. And I get that. I, I sure. totally get that. Um, but it means, again, we're reliant on other people. It's not. A, it's not I can't make the decision right now to say, I fancy a McDonald's, I'm going to get one. I don't have that capability because to do it would mean if I wanted to do it myself, I have to go get a bus, uh, which would take me about maybe 10, 15 minutes to get to the bus stop, another half an hour to get there. Um, I need to wait an hour for the bus to come back. And that's before I've even been to McDonald's. By the time I get home, it's freezing cold and it ain't worth anything. And that's in a situation where you may be lucky enough to be near or on a bus line. If you're not, uh, I know here in the States a lot, I know even over there, if you have to get something like a paratransit, well, then you may have to call hours ahead or maybe even a day ahead. So you have to be clairvoyant to know that, hey, tomorrow I'm going to want McDonald's. At this particular time, the bus has these windows of 15 minutes to 30 minutes or whatever it might be. You have to wait and wait. And and this this whole thing about getting paratransit. So even if you wanted to do that as opposed to a bus or a taxi or something, it's still in our lives and the way that we have to do things. It's It's just not as easy as saying, you know what, I just want to go down and get some McDonald's or I just want to go to the store, you know. And that's it. And, and, you know, I know people will say, well, you know, don't be flippant, Stephen. You know, there, there are more important reasons why someone might want to go out. And yeah, OK, fair enough. Well, but, of course there are. Right. But but that's the point is that there are, you know, that example just shows one of many times in my life where I've just taken an ocean to do something, go to a restaurant. I've got to consider, right, first of all, is there a taxi service? How do I get there? Um Coming back, you know, what will happen? I remember once we were going to a restaurant, we got a taxi to it, and the taxi driver said, oh, I'll, I'll come pick you up. And at the time, we said, oh, that's great. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, when will you be finished your meal, he said? Uh, I don't know. Um, so we kind of worked out, well, probably serve about an hour. We'll probably have desserts, maybe an hour and a half. But, of course, we finished a bit later, and the taxi's sitting there, and he's, we go out, and he's, oh, I thought you'd be sooner and all this. And you're like, hang on a minute. You know, and all these, we're constantly at the beck and call of others. We need, other people need to be there. This removes the other person because a robot can sit there for days on end and doesn't care less. You know, my Amazon Echo doesn't moan at me if I don't speak at her. Um, <laughs> and that's good. And that's... Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Oh, yeah, exactly. And they'll build that into it at some point, I'm sure. But th- that's where this technology can make a difference. So it, it can change your life. It, it, I think it can change your life in, in small ways, in meaningful ways. My mum's getting older now. Um, and, you know, I know that she's going to have to give up driving at some point. My father's not so well. So I know that I need to look after them. How do I take them to hospital appointments? How do I take them to places they need to go? How do I make sure that they're fed? You know, I mean, the Okay, you can do online shopping, but they can't put the groceries away. Um, so how do how do we do all this stuff? Um, it's very difficult without a car. It's amazing. I've, I often wanted to do a, a test with a sighted person who would be willing to do it. 
who might be willing to just give up their car for a week and do what we do. And mm. I know there's people that do. I know people don't. Not everyone has a car. But the people sure. who don't tend to have cars tend to live in big cities where they've got decent transport and decent taxis and buses and subways and trains. Um, you know, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't live in a rural area um, if you without a car. You know, you know if you didn't have if you had a, a choice, I guess. So this technology, really, like we're talking about, I think is going to be a big, maybe small steps at first, but I think over time is going to be a large step, a big step towards more independence for blind and visually impaired people. Not even just blind and visually impaired, actually, for any and all disabilities. If you're somebody who isn't able to get out in any way, whatever the reason, I, I think that the future looks good for people that need to get out for some reason that are already relying on other people that you don't have that independence quite yet. You're having to rely on, like we said, public transportation or other people or other things. And so this is going to be a good step for that. So let's take a step then back to Birmingham, because I know any questions, concerns, or, or any you know ideas you had about this going in, I happen to know that a lot of it was answered once you first saw the pods and then, and then the other things that you saw there and, and the way they introduced you to this technology. Tell me about that uh, that first interaction and that, pardon the pun, but eye-opening experience you had. <laughs> well, I know you're getting at the Tesla. Well, there's a bit of a cliffhanger for you. So a uh, big thank you, first of all, to Stephen Scott once again for coming on and talking with us about automated vehicles and autonomous vehicles. Now, I will be playing the second half of my interview with Stephen, where he talks about his experiences with Tesla. But I will break that up and bring it to you within the next two weeks, because next week I have a interview that I conducted with Hans Weiberg, who is the creator of the very popular Be My Eyes app. So I'll be bringing that to you next week. And then the week after, I will bring you part two of my interview with Stephen Scott. And then look out for later in the month, I will be doing yet another very special Halloween episode. So be sure to be checking that out as well. Now, as many of you know, and especially you Apple fanboys out there know, Apple just recently released iOS 12, the newest edition of their mobile operating system. And I thought it would be fun for me to share with you my top five favorite new features that can be found in iOS 12, but with one caveat. When you listen to the list, you'll notice that the group FaceTime feature is not noted in there. That's because with the initial launch of iOS 12, group FaceTime is not included. However, it is in the beta testing process right now and should be released sometime later this year. But I did just want to mention as an audible mention group FaceTime because I believe that once that's implemented, this feature will be very popular with everyone, especially those in the blind and visually impaired community because group FaceTime will allow you to connect total with 32 people at once. So yourself and 31 other people in either an audio chat or video chat, very similar to Skype and Zoom and other audio video communication apps. With that in mind, I present to you my top five list of favorite new features that can be found in iOS 12. T3 initiated. In June of 2018, Apple held its annual Worldwide Developers Conference. During the keynote address, they announced many of the new features coming to their mobile operating system, iOS 12. 
In September of 2018, iOS 12 was released to the public, bringing with it many new features and improvements. The following is my list of the top five new updates currently available in iOS 12. Number one, performance and bug fixes. Apple made it very clear that the main focus of iOS 12 would be on overall performance and stability of the operating system, as well as squashing many long-standing bugs. They also made it possible for iOS 12 to be available on devices going back as far as the iPhone 5S. Better performance and stability is a welcome upgrade no matter which device you may be using. Apple claims that with iOS 12, apps will launch up to two times faster, the camera will appear up to 70% faster, and the keyboard will display up to 50% faster. Number 2. 911 Location Sharing in previous versions of iOS, you could activate a feature called Emergency SOS so that anytime you called 911 or local emergency services, you would also have a contact that you designate to be notified of your emergency. In iOS 12, Apple has partnered with a service called Rapid SOS to enable them to utilize GPS information and Wi-Fi access points to pinpoint your current location. Then when you call emergency services, the operator will automatically and securely receive that location information. Number three, screen time. This iOS 12 feature will be especially helpful for those parents seeking more powerful parental controls or for those people who just can't seem to be able to put their phone down. Screen Time provides you with an overview of just how much time you spend on your Apple devices with specifics about which apps you use most. You can set individual time limits by app or genre of app and then iOS 12 will alert you when it's time to sign off. These limits can be set to certain durations or to certain times of the day. Number four, Siri shortcuts. The out-of-the-box capabilities of Siri have been greatly enhanced by the implementation of Siri shortcuts. Siri shortcuts provides third-party developers unprecedented access to Siri and its abilities. When implemented, you can use a single word or short phrase to get instant access to certain parts within an app. It's also now possible to string together many different actions using several different apps to accomplish various tasks with the use of that one single word or phrase. Apple has also added a new Siri Shortcuts app where you can find a gallery of pre-existing shortcuts or create your own. Number five, grouped notifications. Previously, the notification center in iOS was a long chronological mess of various notifications. Apple has cleaned up this mess, however, in iOS 12 by implementing grouped notifications. Now, when you access the notification center, you will notice that they are still listed chronologically. However, they are now grouped by each individual app. When you navigate to each app grouping, you will notice that they are in a collapsed list with the most recent notification appearing first. You can expand these lists to see previous notifications from that app, and then using the rotor, you can view more information about an individual notification, clear one or all notifications from a list, or manage your notification center settings.
really hope that you found that helpful in introducing you to some of the new features that can be found in iOS 12. If there's any other feature that you'd like me to discuss or go into in more depth, please send an email to me. Send that to tim at lifeafterblindness.com and I'll try to include that in an upcoming episode. If there's anything else that you'd like me to cover in a T3 segment, any other kind of tech you'd like me to review or go into in more depth, please, again, send your emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. And that will conclude episode number 30 of the Life After Blindness podcast. I want to thank you again so much for taking the time to join me each and every week for the show. Again, if you have any questions or comments, please email me. Send those to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. And if you have any questions about anything I covered in today's show, please visit the show notes online by going to lifeafterblindness.com slash 30. Again, that's lifeafterblindness.com slash 30. And if you'd like to join me on social media, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter by searching for at Labcast. That's L-A-B-C-A-S-T on both Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget, there is a newly launched Facebook group page that you can go to where many people are there available to talk with you about all your questions concerning blindness or visual impairment. So please be sure to check out the new Facebook group. And please be sure to join me again next time as together we continue our journey to find that there truly can be a life after blindness. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.